When I was in high school, I was uh, a senior in high school, and I remember this well because uh, I was only in choir in high school my senior year just for one year. And what the story I'm going to tell you happened in choir. We're in the choir room getting ready to start, and I think it must have been right before the bell, so we're still talking and and um, waiting for our teacher to come out and begin the class. And Suddenly, this girl, and I don't remember her now, but uh, she was a girl in, in our choir class, in our choir, and she just uh, stood up, and she's just talking very loudly, and she began to make fun of Pentecostals. Now, apparently, she had visited a Pentecostal church, or maybe she had family members that attended a Pentecostal church, but she just started saying, oh, yes, Pentecostals. This is the way they pray. And she started mimicking. And she started saying, here's how they pray. And she was Hispanic, like everybody else in our school, <laughs> Megan Robstown. And uh, she started mimicking, making fun. And she, say, she started saying this. She started saying, si, sí, que dicen, ay, me entró Dios, y que me entró Dios. And they started dancing and crying, and they fall. And she's just, you know, making fun of, of uh, Pentecostals, the way they prayed. And she demonstrated this, and she laughed, and... I don't know that anybody's really paying attention to her. I don't know who she was talking to. I just remember thinking, what is wrong with you, girl? You know? But, I mean, I, I grew up Pentecostal, so I've heard this all my life. I've heard people mocking Pentecostals. How many of you have heard that before? If you've grown up in church, yeah. We've heard uh, people mocking Pentecostals, uh, mocking speaking in tongues, uh, calling it uh, gibberish, and, and, you know, this is part of, uh, really, of our experience, has been part of our experience. Now, I, uh, I think it's gotten a lot better. I think it used to be worse. I think it used to be worse because growing up, we Pentecostals were really the only ones that would um, worship God. Uh, this is in the 70s, you understand, okay? We were, back then, the only ones that would worship God with uplifted hands. You wouldn't see that among Baptists and Methodists and other uh, church groups. Now you see that, right? I mean, you go to a Baptist church and you see people lifting their hands. Back then, the Baptists would mock us because we worshiped God with uplifted hands. And so I think things are getting better. Uh, a lot of non-Pentecostals worship that way. And so, but still, there's a, uh, there's a stigma still, I think, to uh, to when we say, yeah, I'm a Pentecostal, I believe in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit through tongues and, you know, the other gifts of the Spirit and uh, as the evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're talking about. We're in a, a sermon series on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we, we've talked about some things. Uh, we started last week, but we really started two weeks ago. Uh, it kind of this... Uh, Topic overlapped with our last series, and so we really started two weeks ago on uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't been here, I encourage you to go back and look up the videos on Facebook or YouTube or uh, Apple Podcast or uh, Spotify, any of those um, podcast platforms, and, and catch up on what we're talking about. We've covered a lot of ground, and, and I've tried really uh, hard to clarify about this experience that, that the scriptures call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In fact, this is our big idea of, of this series. Big idea is, is that there is an experience referred to in the scriptures as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's an experience that is different from salvation and it's subsequent 
to salvation. That is to say, it comes after salvation. Now, many people ha have uh, been saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, almost simultaneously, but uh, it, technically it's, it's, it's subsequent to it. All right, so there's an experience referred to in the Scriptures as a baptism in the Holy Spirit. This experience is different from salvation, and it's subsequent to it. And this experience is marked by speaking in tongues as evidence of God's presence in that experience. And so we've, we've gone through several verses in the last couple of weeks as we've uh, discovered, and, and I think it's very clear in the Scriptures that this is a, a subsequent experience to salvation. We, we've seen how when we are saved from John 20, 22, when we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit, but then there is a, 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 a second experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in which we're filled, and the evidence of that is speaking in tongues. We've, we saw three clear cases in the Scriptures where that was the evidence. And so we're going to go back and, and read. We're going to read a lot of Scripture, so I encourage you to, to follow along in, in, in the Bible so that you don't, uh, your mind doesn't start to wander as much. I know it's hard sometimes to stay focused for 30 minutes, but we'll try that. Um, we've been reading from Acts 2, so let's go back to Acts 2, chapter 1. Acts 2, chapter 1, from verses 1 through 4. We read this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were several signs that occurred that day. There uh, the, the signs of what seemed to be tongues of fire, the, the signs of the sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Uh, but only one sign was really part of the Pentecostal experience. And by the way, we've already explained this, but the reason this is called a Pentecostal experience, the reason we're called Pentecostals is because this happened, what we just read, happened on the day of Pentecost. As we just read in Acts 2.1, it happened on the day of Pentecost, which was a, a harvest celebration. And so that's how that name got tied into this belief. But the sign was that everyone that was there, there were 120, were filled. Everyone was filled rather with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They began to speak. In other words, they used their, their tongue, the, the muscle called the tongue. They spoke. They spoke. The words didn't come from their thinking, didn't come from their mind. It was a spirit that gave them the words, gave them the words to speak, gave them utterance. And so those words were expressed boldly for all to hear, loudly, and uh, with obvious anointing and power. Now, before we answer the question, uh, why did God choose tongues? Which is a question that I, I want to I answer, uh, try to answer uh, to, today. Why did God choose tongues as the evidence? Before we get there, uh, let me mention some, some um, opposition, uh, oppositional uh, arguments. And you may have uh, heard some of these. 
uh, as to why this wasn't really a miracle of speaking in tongues. Some people believe that the miracle of Acts 2 wasn't so much in the speaking of tongues, but in the hearing. It was a miracle of hearing because uh, the Bible says that there were people, there were Jews from every nation under the heaven there in Jerusalem at that time. And they all heard the 120 disciples that were filled with the Holy Spirit. They all they heard them worshiping God in their own language. And, and those nations are, are listed. And they all heard them in their own language. So some people say, well, see, that's a miracle of hearing. The miracle isn't that the... Uh, that the disciples were speaking in other languages. The disciples, they say, were speak, speaking in Aramaic. They were speaking in their regular language, Aramaic, but each of the Jews from the other nations were hearing in their language. You know, the, the, the hearing of the message in their own language. And uh, it's like the Holy Spirit was translating what the disciples were saying in their natural language, translating it to the languages of all the different nations. In other words, a miracle of hearing. And they use verse 8. Look at Acts 2.8 because they use that as proof. And this is what the Jews from all the nations were saying in Acts 2.8. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? So they say, see, there it is. It's a miracle of hearing. It's not about tongues. They were just speaking in, uh, in their native Aramaic. And I've heard this a lot in sermons that I listen to. Uh, where people, uh, pastors, preachers try to explain, oh, that's not, it's not really tongues. Well, the problem, though, with that interpretation of the text is that verses 6 and 7 are just too specific about the disciples speaking in tongues for it to just be a miracle of hearing. Look, look at Acts 2.6. Acts 2.6, when they heard the sound, this is a sound uh, you know, of, of the speaking in tongues, maybe the sound of the wind, if everybody heard that. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language, what? Being spoken. They heard their language being spoken. So those languages are being spoken. They were just, they, they just weren't translated by the Spirit, so they just heard in, in, in their uh, language. And so verse uh, 7 says, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are, what, speaking, aren't they all Galileans? So they're asking, how are they speaking our language? But see, the word being, the words being spoken at the end of verse 6, the word uh, speaking in verse 7 are just too specific for it to just be a miracle of hearing. It was not a miracle of hearing, but one of speaking in tongues. And, and it was the, uh, the evidence of God's presence through that experience. Now, another common misconception, and I've heard this uh, being preached too, uh, is that is a belief that these tongues were just a gift of languages for the preaching and teaching of the gospel in order to spread it more rapidly. In other words, it's like, uh, you know, today, today missionaries that go to another country, one of the first things they do is they go to language school and they learn the language of that country. If they're going to Latin America, most of the uh, somebody's got missionaries go to a language school in, in uh, Costa Rica, and that's where they that's where they learn the, the Spanish language. And depending on where they're going, they'll go to a language school, and they learn the language. But that takes a while. That takes a while, and some of those languages are just hard, and it takes them a while to learn it. And and uh, eventually they do. But you know, there's a there's a gap in which they're learning, so they can preach the gospel. And so some say, see, what God was doing is he he taught. 
uh, he, or he allowed the disciples to speak the languages uh, quickly so they could start preaching immediately. So all they were doing was preaching in the language of the nations. Uh, that's all it was. It, it wasn't like an evidence of anything. It's just a miracle of them being able to learn another language without having to go to language school, without having to, to learn it from a, a book or another person. And so there's, uh, that's a belief. But again, the problem with that is that there is absolutely no evidence of any such use in this uh, scripture. On the day of Pentecost, the sound of the tongues did gather a crowd, but what they heard, the Bible clearly says, was not any kind of discourse, was, was not any kind of preaching. What they heard was the 120 disciples praising God, worshiping God, calling forth the wonderful works of God. Maybe they were shouts of praise. They were just, you know, speaking unto God. And so it was worship, not preaching. The Bible clearly says they were calling forth the, the wonders of God. Now, if it were preaching, then it would have brought the result of many of them being saved through the tongues. They weren't saved through the tongues. Nobody was saved because they heard the tongues on that day. They were saved when later that day Peter got up and he preached and he spoke to them in their language. That's when 3,000 of them were saved. But they weren't saved as a result of the tongue. So it's more than, than just a miracle of them learning the language uh, for preaching. So the question we're asking is why tongues? Why did God choose tongues as evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And perhaps the best way to answer that is, at least to, to start answering that, is to ask a counter question. Why did God choose blood as the atoning element in our salvation? Why did God choose blood as the atoning element? I mean, there's a, there's a part of this that is, look, it's like God is sovereign. He doesn't have to consult us. He really doesn't have to explain to us. And there's, there's a sense in which this question, why did God choose tongues? There's a sense in which we may never really know exactly. I think we have some clues that I'm going to share with you from Scripture, but we may never really know exactly. Same thing with, with blood. Why did God choose blood as the atoning element? Well, we know that God knows, you know, from, from the beginning, not that God had a beginning, but God knows that uh, the life of the flesh is in the blood. When somebody sheds his blood for another, or somebody sheds her blood for another, this demonstrates the ultimate sacrifice, right? Um, on Memorial Day, we talk about how brave men and women have shed their blood to protect our country. That's a phrase that we, we all use. Men and women who, ha who have shed, who shed their blood to protect our country and how they made the ultimate sacrifice. So, I mean, it makes sense then. It's not just some random thing, but it makes sense that God would choose blood as the atoning element in our salvation because the life of the flesh is in the blood. This is why uh, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, no remission of sins. All right, so I use that as an example because I believe in the same way when God shows tongues as the initial physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, He chose tongues for reasons that would address and would explain the significance of this experience. So let's, let's talk about some reasons why 
why God chose tongues. I believe, first of all, that speaking in tongues is an outward evidence of an inward spiritual truth. See, outward is an outward evidence of a spiritual truth. And why is this important? Well, because as long as we're humans and we're subject to human limitations, we will always be in need of some kind of outward symbol to help us understand spiritual truths. Your, uh, your math teachers in high school or in college, your you know, science teachers... Uh, English, whatever, but especially, you know, the, the sciences and math, you know, they, they would come up with uh, examples to help you understand something. And maybe I'm, I'm kind of focusing on math and science because I was weak in those two areas, you know. I was stronger in, in, in uh, history and English and those. But, uh, but good, teachers, good teachers will give you an example, right? They'll come up with a project. They'll come up with... Uh, you know, some experiment, something to help you understand, oh, okay, I see how this works. Because in our human uh, limitations, we always need some kind of outward symbols, especially when it has to do with spiritual truth. That's one of the reasons that Jesus left us two ordinances that we practice. Uh, we practice two ordinances, and they are, of course, water baptism and Holy Communion. Both of these, both of these are outward evidences of deep spiritual truths. Outward evidences. And so uh, that's helpful to us. And so that's why I believe one of the reasons that God chose tongues is for us to be able to understand a deep spiritual truth. Because God is a spirit. God is invisible to our eyes. But His power is made evident in our lives through the speaking in tongues when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. God uses our senses, speech, and hearing, in this case, as proof of His presence. Because we can't see Him. We can't see Him. Uh, on the day of Pentecost, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. But that's not a recurring symbol. Uh, th there was a sound like a violent wind, but that's not a recurring sign. The tongues of fire and the wind are not recurring. That's the only time they happen. What, what is recurring is a speaking in tongues. And the Jews from the other nations saw and they heard God's, the evidence of God's presence through the speaking in tongues. Um, I, I'd, I'd like to read church history, and I realize that uh, that may not be something that is interesting to you. You know, I get, I get paid for it in, in a sense, but I, you know, I like it, whether I got paid for being a pastor or not. Uh, and uh, I like to read uh, early church fathers, and um, one of the early church fathers, a man by the name of John Chrysostom, had this to say about the sign of tongues. He said this, Whoever was baptized in the apostolic day, he straightway spake with tongues. They at once received the Spirit, not that they saw the Spirit, for He is invisible, but here it is. But God's grace bestowed some sensible proof of His energy. And by sensible, He means you're perceptible to the senses. Something that you can perceive with your senses. God's grace bestowed some sensible proof of His energy. It does make manifest to them that were without that it was the Spirit in the very person speaking. So... From, from early on, the, the church fathers 
uh, understood this and they, and they taught this, that speaking in tongues is an outward evidence of uh, spiritual truth. Uh, now, secondly, here's another reason why God may have chosen tongues, is that speaking in tongues is a symbol of God's complete control of the believer, of God's complete control of the believer. And I think the best example for this we find in the book of James, where James talks about our tongues and how we can't control our tongues. Uh, I, uh, my wife and I had a, a, a friend, a couple, married couple, back when we lived in Corpus Christi. And uh, after we moved to San Angelo, we found out that our friend, uh, they were about our age, we were all really young, we were in our 20s back then, found out that our friend, uh, the husband, became a rapper, uh, a Spanish rapper. So he would rap in Spanish. It was pretty cool. He came to San Angelo to a church in San Angelo here. I went to go watch him and talk to him. And, uh, and I don't remember any of his raps except one. He had a rap called Chisme. Chisme, which means gossip, right? And I remember this. This is the only line I remember. He would rap, you know, he would rap, Chisme, 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 lingua venenosa. Chisme, chisme, chisme. And I forget what rhymes with that. But, I just, but he's right, you know. Lengua venenosa, poisonous tongue. That's what gossip is, you know. And if you don't believe that the tongue is poisoned, just get on Facebook where the, the tongue, the words of the tongue are expressed through typing. But James says this. Look at James 3, 7. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Lengua venenosa, right? So not only is a tongue the last thing that, that man can tame, that mankind can tame, but it's also the last thing to yield to the Holy Spirit. Not only is the tongue the last thing that yields to man's control, but it's the last thing that yields to God's control. So the fact that speaking in tongues and the control of the tongue uh, is a symbol of God's control. I think, this is, I think the control of the tongue is an accurate measure. It's an accurate measure of the extent to which the believer has submitted his control Control of his life or her life to the Holy Spirit. So somebody can say, I'm, I'm surrendered to God. I'm a Christian, but they don't control their tongue. And you say, I don't know. But I, I think control of the tongue is an accurate measure of the extent to which we are submitted to the control of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indicates his possession uh, of the believer by making the stubborn tongue, this poisonous tongue, to speak whatever the Holy Spirit tells him to speak. Even in, in other languages. From the very beginning of you know, our experience with God, when the very beginning of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, the, the believer is given this great illustration of the submission of his tongue to God. A submission that really should characterize his whole life, not just that moment of prayer in the Holy Spirit. So speaking in tongues is a symbol of God's complete control of the believers. Next. Why tongues? I believe that uh, speaking in tongues shows that the Holy Spirit is a believer's source of truth and speech. The believer's source, source rather, of truth and speech. In an era in which many people 
uh, when they have discussions and, uh, dare I say it, arguments uh, about politics or anything else, they rattle off talking points of, of their political side or talking points of their favorite uh, host, you know, cable news host on TV. Uh, and, you know, they're not, a lot of times those talking points and, and those beliefs aren't rooted in scripture. But when we speak in tongues, and, 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 and one of the reasons that God uh, may have chosen speaking in tongues is that it shows us that our uh, source of truth and our source of speech is not some other person, but it's the Holy Spirit. It's not some political ideology, but it's the Holy Spirit. It's not some textbook that we read, but it's the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself made it very clear that the truths which he spoke and even the words with which he taught these truths were a result of his complete dependence on the Father. The Gospel of John, let's read several verses in John here. The Gospel of John especially just abounds with references to how Jesus depended on the Father for what he said and even how he said it. Look at John 14, 10. He says, do you, or don't you believe rather that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is a Father living in me who is doing his work. Then jump to verse 24, same chapter, verse 24. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And so Jesus was consequently always seeking to impress on his disciples not to rely on their own understanding, but to rely on the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26, just two verses later, John 14, 26. He told them this, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And then in John 16, 13, he told them this, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So he's, he's impressing on them, repeating this truth. Don't rely on your own understanding. Don't rely on your own knowledge, your own interpretation of what you hear and read. But depend on the Holy Spirit uh, to give you the words, let the Holy Spirit be the source of your speech and the source of the truth. How many times have, have you heard people say, well, you know, that's your truth, but that's not my truth. Well, there's no such thing. There's just the truth, right? And the truth is, is uh, received from the Spirit of God. And so I think this is important to understand that this is one of the reasons that God may have chosen tongues. Now, before the disciples even went out to preach the gospel to every person as, as Jesus had commanded them, the Holy Spirit made them aware of their need to look to Him as their uh, source of truth and speech. Let's go to the next one. We've got a couple more. The next one is this, speaking in tongues. <clears throat> speaking in tongues allows a believer to communicate with God at a deeper level. Psalm 42.7, the psalmist 
wrote, Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. What does this mean, deep calls to deep? You know, David was describing the incredible depths of the water that swept over him. The word that is used here, the word that David used here in the Hebrew, deep, refers to the deepest part of the ocean. The deepest part of the ocean. Do you ever stop and think what marine life is like and what it would be like to go deep? Is deep into the ocean. Well, he's describing, he's using the word that describes the deepest part of the ocean. And he's using this to describe the depths of the water that swept over him and how one deep wave called to another deep wave kind of perpetuates. It perpetuates. He was, now he's being poetic, right? He's being poetic. He's using words here, uh, uh, metaphorical uh, language, poetic language, but the concept of deep calling to deep is true because we know in nature there are many depths in life that bring connection. There are depths, there are things that are deep that bring connection and they bring meaning. For example, the depths in nature that call the, the, the swallow to migrate, uh, the, the depths in the moon that call the tides to rise and, and to fall, and the depths in God that call us to draw close to Him. They call forth the depths in us. We, we, there's a depth to our soul that many times we don't tap. Think about the way we pray sometimes. We pray using the same words over and over. There's no depth to our language. We, we start each prayer the same way, and I, and I don't want to mock the way anybody prays because, I, you know, we're, we're all the same way. But we pray the same words over and over, and, what, and, and sometimes we just don't know what else to say. Because there's a depth in us that we don't know how to access, we don't know how to tap. And yet God is calling that depth out of us. Deep calls to deep. And so when we pray to God, whether it's in English, and, and many of you have heard me say, even in English, even in English, Dig deep and, and find other words to express yourself to God. Don't just say the same thing over and over. You know, with, with your understanding of, and growth in Scripture, find deeper ways to express in English or in Spanish, whatever your language is, deeper ways to express yourself to God. And it's possible. But even beyond that, even beyond that, uh, we are to call to God from the depths of our hearts. But speaking in tongues is a way... Uh, for my spirit to connect to God's spirit at a deeper level, perhaps the deepest level available to us. Now, here's the way that I see it. Here's the way that I see it. When we, uh, a moment ago, we're, we're singing worship songs. And we, we sing worship songs to God using the words of a songwriter. And there many, there's, a, there's a lot of good music out there from the old hymns to you know, to choruses back when, when we were uh, growing up in the 70s, we sang a lot of choruses. Now we don't just sing choruses. We sing the whole song. We sing the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge. You know, we, it's, back then we only sang choruses. I remember finding out, oh, this song has verses? Because all we ever sang was choruses. So now we sing songs, and, but they're the songs of some great songwriter. And there's, there's some really good worship music out there, really good worship music. And as bilingual, I, I, I'm aware that there's some great worship music coming out of Mexico also. Just great songs. 
But those are the words of the songwriter. And so we use that, and I think it's great for us to use it to get started on worshiping God, coming into his presence. We're using somebody else's words, and they, they help us to connect. But then we got to go beyond that. This is why many times I'll say to you, okay, now worship God in your own words. Now offer to God uh, what the writer to the Hebrews called the sacrifice of praise. What did he, what did he call that? He, he, how do he describe the sacrifice of praise? He said, the fruit of your lips. We've been singing the, the fruit of the songwriter's lips. That's great. But God wants to hear the fruit of your lips. So don't just sing a song. When the song's over, you put your head down and you're just waiting for somebody to lead a prayer or to stop singing. No, now start giving God the fruit of your lips. Now in your words, begin to praise God in your, in your language. All right? and, and dig deep and find words, as I said. But, and God loves that because that's a sacrifice of praise. But then there's a deeper way to connect with God, because sometimes even the deepest words we can find, the deepest expressions we can find, uh, are not deep enough as God is calling us deep to deep, deep calls to deep, and God is trying to draw our worship from the depths of our soul, and so this is where speaking in tongues comes in, because it expresses things that we can't express with our limited knowledge and limited vocabulary, and it's a deeper expression of Connecting with God. This is important because a tongue is just that one part of the body that is able to do this. The, the, the tongue is a one part of the body that is most fitted to the depths that God is wanting to draw uh, out from us. God wants it to come from the depths of our soul. You know, God, God did a new thing on the day of Pentecost, but what new thing did God do on the day of Pan Pentecost? Did, did, he, um, did he tell the disciples, 120, did he lead them to raise their hands as an expression of the depth of their soul, to raise their hands? No, because that was Old Testament. I remember thinking, I was talking a while ago about how growing up I've heard uh, people mock us as Pentecostals. And I was a teenager, uh, probably senior high school, maybe in college, and I realized, wait a minute. This whole thing about, about raising our hands, that's not a Pentecostal thing. That's in the Old Testament. David taught that. So everybody should be doing this. And I would tell people that. Baptist friends, you should be doing that because it's not, it didn't happen at Pentecost. That goes back to the Old Testament. So that wasn't a new thing. I mean, God, God, should he have told the 120, raise your hands as an expression of the death? No, that was already done. That's Old Testament. Should he have told them, uh, do something with your feet? Should he have told them, uh, worship in, on your knees, drop to your knees? Should he have told them, put a smile on your face? No, because all those were already part of normal worship from the Old Testament. The tongue was a one instrument of the body which, which required an operation of faith and which would involve a unique manifestation of the Spirit of God in our bodies and in our personalities that had not been previously done in the depths of God's past revelation to His people. So it was a whole new beginning at Pentecost. Now let me just finish with this. That last one was how the uh, speaking in tongues allows us as believers to communicate with God at a deeper level. And this last one, just give it to you briefly because it's more of a theological possibility. I'm not going to get into it too deeply. Uh, more of a theological possibility about why God chose tongues. And that's this. Many believe that speaking in tongues is a reversal of the curse of Babel. 
How many of you remember the story of uh, the Tower of Babel from Genesis 11? Uh, where people at that time shared a common language and they wanted to build a tower to the, the actually build a tower to the actual heavens. They wanted to get together and build a tower to reach God. When God saw this and he took exception to their pride, this was hubris, this was pride. He took exception to that. So he destroyed the tower, he scattered the people, he, and he made them speak different languages so they, they couldn't communicate anymore. Now, at Pentecost, uh, many theologians believe that uh, the tongues represent the languages that had already been restored. They were, had been restored. There were Jews from all nations under the heaven at that time. But it's, it's a, they, these are the tongues that allowed people now, through praising God in tongues, to build not a tower to heavens, to the heavens, but to build a connection to the God of the heavens. So, in conclusion, let me say this. I think these are important explanations about speaking in tongues. But I don't want us to get sidetracked by forgetting to make the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is not the tongues. The tongues is a sign. The tongues are a symbol. Uh, they're the evidence, initial physical evidence. The main thing is that God has a deeper experience for each one of us. The main thing is that God doesn't want you to live life at a disadvantage when you could have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Some of you have been longing for more of God. You've been asking God, I want to know you more. I want to draw closer to you. I'm tired of being so selfish and thinking only of myself. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is for you. It's for you today. If you're a teenager in high school, it's for you today. I was a teenager in high school when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'll never forget the immediate and deep impact it made on my life. It happened on a Sunday night service back when we had Sunday night services back when I was a kid. And um, it, uh, I remember going to church the next morning. Going to, not church, but going to school the next morning. And just, just an impact, just a sense of knowing that I was carrying the Holy Spirit with me. I, knew, you know, I had been saved, but this experience just brought something out of me that I didn't know existed. It's what kept me through, through school. College students, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if you've been to any college, uh, any public university... You, you're going to get, and you, I know many of you will be able to agree with me on this. You are going to get, or you have been bombarded in science classes. Evolution is a thing. I mean, that's, that's just a thing. That's not debated. And you get bombarded with teachings that are anti-biblical. How, how do you have the power to overcome those things in your life and the temptations that you face? Whether you're a teenager, a college student, adult, this experience is for us. This is why I'm encouraging you during these days, seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're about to approach God in worship with one more song. And during this time of worship, I want you to seek God. I want you to worship God. And when, when we stop singing, don't turn off your 
you know, you're speaking or you're singing, but in your own words, begin to worship God. And then ask God to give you this experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It may not happen in 10 minutes of singing here or 15 minutes. It may happen at home. I know the story of a man who was baptized in the Holy Spirit as he was driving his car. The point is, God, this is an experience that God has for you. Let's seek for this experience, drawing close to God in this way with all our hearts. Would you bow for prayer? Father, we're thankful for your word. We seek to understand your word. We seek to learn. We seek to clarify. But God, even if we don't understand everything about this wonderful experience of baptism, the Holy Spirit, even if we have some doubts, that doesn't mean that we have to act on our doubts. We have doubts about many things in our lives, and, and yet we go forward with them. God, when we go through a surgery, the, the paperwork we have to sign places doubt that will even come alive out of that surgery, and yet we still do it because we don't act on the doubts. And I pray that we would approach this the same way. I believe your word, and I know from experience the difference this has made in my life. And maybe somebody doesn't, but they're desiring more. They're, something is drawing them. Maybe somebody here is saying, I don't know why I keep coming back to this church. Something is drawing me to this church. No, God, it's not this church. It's your spirit calling them and saying, I want, I want to draw out of you the depths of worship from the depths of your soul. So I pray that we would be able to surrender to you right now. Surrender our lives. Surrender our tongue. And just worship you.